Nehemiah chapter 6 will be the setting of our message tonight as we put into place the fifth and final installment of our Swords and Sledgehammers series. We've been learning from Nehemiah's example what it looks like to be a builder of God's kingdom as well as a warrior in God's kingdom because in reality it does take both. We have a responsibility as God's people to build but we also have to fight at times. We have to fight against our enemy. We have to fight against our flesh. We have to fight for those that we love. We have to fight at times to defend God's honor in his name. And so often we're having to do both at the same time like we saw last week in chapter 4. As Nehemiah and the people were building the wall, they were also having to battle against their enemies. So at times we have to have the sword in one hand and the hammer in the other. And so for our purposes, as we draw this narrative to a close tonight, there is a real practical lesson that God has for us that I believe will hit in such an impactful way for many of us here tonight if we'll open ourselves up to it. And see, a lot of times the way in which you receive from God has to do with the way in which you position yourself before God. That's why we worship before the Word because it helps us get in a right position to receive what God has for us from His Word. So I hope you guys are in a good position tonight. And if you're still not where you know you need to be, ask God just real quick in these next few moments to place your heart in a right position to adequately receive what He has for you tonight from His Word. Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, God's Word says this, Now when Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab... And the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sambalat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafirim. Everybody say Hakafirim. In the plain of Ono. And that's really actually how you say it. I, I looked it up to be sure. It's kind of strange. It's not Ono, Ono. It'll make sense later. It's really cool how that's going to tie back in in a strange way. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Ashamedly, I have to admit to you guys that if you were to walk around my house right now, you would find several projects that I started but haven't completed. For instance, our kitchen. A while back, it's been a couple of years ago now, it came a massive flood one Sunday morning. I came to the church to unlock the building like I normally do, and my wife called me really early, which is unusual on a Sunday morning for her to call me. So I answer the phone, and she says, the kitchen ceiling has just caved in. So little did we know there was a hole in our roof, which led to a leak in our roof when the rain started. It rained for like four days straight, filled up the ceiling in our kitchen. We had no idea. Eventually, the water got so heavy, the whole ceiling caved in, water everywhere, which led to us having to have our kitchen ceiling redone, but also led to the added benefit of us getting new cabinets. And so we put new cabinets in. I had my cousin do them, just plain wood cabinets. I didn't have him paint them because we were going to paint them. It's amazing the things that you're going to do in life, I have learned by experience. And so we finally got around and, and painted the cabinets, but the drawers, we still haven't painted the drawers. And we painted the walls, we repainted the walls, 
in the kitchen used to be white and now it's gray, but there's still some section of the wall that hasn't been painted yet because paint's still chipping. And so we started on the kitchen, we just haven't finished it yet. Take, for instance, our back bedroom. We cleaned our back bedroom out a while back. There were a bunch of shelves in there that the guy who lived there before us had put up on the walls. We took all the shelves down. We were going to repaint the walls in there. So we cleaned everything out. We took the shelves down. Over time, we started adding a few more things back into the room, and a few more things turned into a lot more things, and now there's a lot of stuff in that back bedroom, and the walls still aren't painted. We started on the back bedroom. We just hadn't finished it yet. Take our master bedroom, for example. Y'all are thinking, man, y'all are terrible, like, homeowners. We decided to, uh, to paint the master bedroom. And so I started one day a couple of weeks ago, and I painted about half of it, and then I waited about a month to paint the other half. And so we got the bedroom painted, but the, the carpet needs to be replaced. And so we still need to replace the carpet. We started on the master bedroom. We just haven't completed it. There's a stump in our backyard. When we moved into this house, it became my life's ambition to remove this stump. And I'm not talking about your average size little bitty tiny stump. I'm talking like the things as big as a Volkswagen. And so over time, I began to go in the back with my machete and a shovel. And so I start digging up the stump and it's rotten out so you can kind of break it away. And so I worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked on the stump until eventually I didn't work on the stump anymore. That was about three or four years ago, the stump's still there. I started working on the stump, just haven't finished it yet. Nehemiah and the people have been diligently working on the wall. In the midst of opposition, in the face of doubt, they have persisted still in the work that God set before them. And now the wall has been pretty much rebuilt, but there's still some work that needs to be completed. And that's the subject that I want to speak to you from tonight, the subject of partial projects. Tell someone next to you, finish the job. Somebody needs to tell me that. Finish the job. Some of us have some partial projects lying around. And what I mean by that is some of you have some friends. Some of you have some family members. Some of you have some teammates. Some of you have some co-workers. Some of you have some classmates, people that you've reached out to, people that you've loved on, people that you have witnessed to, but you've left some business unfinished with them. Nehemiah and the people had all but finished what seemed like an impossible task. Only a couple of more things needed to be done when the enemy shows back up with one last attempt to distract them from the work because the enemy is fine with partially finished projects. He is perfectly fine with you partially finishing a project that God placed in front of you. As long as you don't completely finish it, he is perfectly happy with it being left with loose ends still undone. And so what he will try to do is he will try and make you trade off some things to keep you from completing the project or the task that God has given you. I want to show you some of the trade-offs that he will set in front of you to try and leave things unfinished in your life. Number one, he'll try to trade off fervor for fruitlessness in your life. Go back and look at verse 3 with me in chapter 6. It says that they, uh, they sent messengers. So they sent messengers to, to meet with Nehemiah. We want you to meet us here in Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. Verse 3, Nehemiah says, I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it 
and come down to you. And they sent to me four times in this way. So four times, Samballat and Geshem sent messengers to Nehemiah saying, come and meet us in this place. We just want to talk to you. We want to negotiate some things. And I answered them in the same manner every single time. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. It happens like this so often, I feel. In our lives, we get a passion for something or we get a fervor. That's what fervor is. It's just passion. It's having an intense passion for something. And so often I feel like we get a fervor, we get a passion for something in our lives for doing something specific, and we're all about it for a little while. Determined that we're going to get the job done. But eventually we run out of fervor. Eventually we run out of passion. And when that happens, you just took the first step in not finishing the job. We saw at the beginning of this account that Nehemiah had a deep passion, he had a deep fervor for rebuilding the ruined walls of Jerusalem when he found out the news that the walls had been torn down. God's Word gives us a glimpse into the heart of Nehemiah and we see this deep passion well up within his heart to rebuild the walls. And none of the tactics his enemy has tried at this point have slowed down his fervor. He's still just as passionate about finishing the job as he was when he started it. So they began to try and get him to trade his fervor for something that was fruitless. Let's try and get him to come down. They get together in that game. They say, obviously, the, the physical assault that they were going to try in chapter 4, they found out that wasn't going to work out. So they begin to conspire against Nehemiah and the people, and they say, here, let's try a different tactic. Let's send a delegation to Nehemiah. Let's ask him to meet us in this place. Because if he's meeting us in this place, he can't be working in this place. Can I tell you, it's never a good idea to have a meeting with the enemy. Never. You don't need to ever entertain negotiations that come from the pits of hell, yet so many of us in here are entertaining lies right now the devil is feeding into your life. It's not a good idea to, to enter into those negotiations. In other words, they were just trying to redirect Nehemiah's passion. But Nehemiah wasn't going to play the game because he knows that the work isn't finished. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down is what he told them. A great work. Why should I come down? Why should I come? Why should I leave the work behind to come and meet you guys? Ain't nobody got time for that, Sam Ballot and Geshem. I'm busy doing a great work for the glory of God. I don't have time to entertain y'all senselessness. They were trying to get him to trade off his fervor for something that was going to be fruitless. And I feel like some of us here at one time had great fervor for our friends, for our family members, for our teammates, for our classmates, for our co-workers. At one time we had a great passion for them and their heart and their soul and their standing before God. You started work on that project at one time. You started reaching out. You started trying to witness to them. You started trying to show them Jesus. You started trying to invite them to church to get them to come with you. But then the enemy gradually redirected your fervor onto something fruitless. It used to be your classmates you were passionate about. Now it's just your grades. It used to be your teammates that you were passionate about. Now it's just your stat sheet. It used to be your co-workers that you were passionate about, and now it's just your paycheck. Climbing the corporate ladder. And I'm not downing academics, I'm not downing athletics, I'm not downing finances, but as our top passion, they're fruitless. 
guys, can I, I'll be dead level honest with you. When I reflect on my college years, when I look back on my time in college, I don't wish I could go back and make a better grade. I don't wish I could go back as an athlete and improve on my career numbers. I wish I could go back and reach people. I wish I could go back and take advantage of the opportunity that God gave me in one of the greatest mission fields in our country right now. And I'm trying to help you guys see this right now. So don't, you don't look back one day and stand in my shoes and say, you know what, at one time I walked on my campus with a passion to reach the people around me for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I traded it off for something fruitless. Go and make good grades by all means. Go and be the best athlete that you can be. Go and work the best job that you can for the person that you're working for. Have the best work ethic of anybody around you. But don't make that your top passion because that's fruitless. When you stand before God one day, you're not going to show Him your report card. But God, look, I got an A in chemistry. You know how hard that is? Well, that's great, my child, but where are the people you told about me? You're not going to stand before God one day and show him your, your stat sheet. Hey, God, I'm not going to stand before God and say, God, look at, my, look at my ERA. That's some good stuff my senior year. God, look at my batting average. Except don't, not the sophomore year. You know, from, from sophomore year, it's pretty good stuff. God, look how many three-pointers. Look at my free throw percentage. You're not going to stand before God one day and show him your stat sheet. He's going to say, well, that's good and well, but where are the rest of your teammates? You're not going to stand before God one day and say, God, look at my pay stub. God, look how hard I worked. Look how far I climbed up the corporate ladder. Look how many advances I made. I became the, I became the CEO of my corporation. God is going to say, well, that's great, my child. I'm, I'm so proud for you. I'm glad you had such an awesome work ethic, but where's your coworkers? Nehemiah said, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I leave this to come down and meet with you when it's going to be fruitless? Let me ask you guys, you men and women, something. What have you left work for? Projects remain partially finished when we trade fervor for fruitlessness. But he'll also try to get you to trade focus for fantasy. Look at verse 10. We're going to pick up the next part of this story. It says, in the same way, Sanballat, everybody say Sanballat. For the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, No such thing as you say has been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. When Nehemiah wouldn't agree to come meet with Sambalat, he began making up false claims about Nehemiah. And so Sam Ballot says, fine, if you're not going to meet us so we can talk about things and get, get it straightened out, I'm just going to make up some things myself. It's rumored that, Nehemiah, your plan in doing this is to rebel against the king, which Nehemiah knew wasn't true because he had already gotten permission from that king to do this work. 
I think it's worth noting that when your king gives you permission to do something, don't let anybody else revoke it. And so they make up stuff saying, well, Nehemiah, you're going to set up, this is why you're rebuilding the wall, you're going to, you're going to be your own king, you've got people set up in, in Jerusalem, you've got people set up in place to prophesy about you. But they were making false claims, and Nehemiah pointed to the fact that, Sam, you're crazy, man. You're making this stuff up out of your own mind. This stuff isn't true. I never said any of that, and you know what's not true. These are inventions of your own mind. But really, the goal was an attempt to get Nehemiah to lose focus and become worried with something that was fantasy. Something that wasn't true, something that was a false claim, something that Sam Ballot had fantasized or made up about in his own mind. For the longest time, guys, I was focused on digging up that stump in our backyard. I mean like an intense focus. When I got off of work, all I could think about was getting home, getting in the backyard, and getting to work on that stump. Like it drove me crazy for a little bit. I was focused on digging that stump up and I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked on it for several weeks at a time. And I was out there chopping away one day and I got tired and I sat down and you guys know what it's like to lose focus, right? How many of you struggle with focus? I know you struggle with focus and you might not think that you do, but if I was to walk into the library and you were sitting in there studying at any given moment, if I sat there for about five to ten minutes, I could prove to you that you struggle with focus because you would go from actively writing down and taking notes to giving it one of these. And so I sat down, I got tired working on the stump. And I sat down and I gave it one of those. And I lost focus. And then I started having thoughts, fantasy. What is the point? I ain't ever going to get this. Look at the size of this thing. I can't get this thing out. Like, I need somebody to come in with a backhoe to get this thing out. Here I am with a little sissy machete in my hand and a shovel trying to bust the roots up, trying to push the stump over. So I began having this thought. There's no way I'm going to get this done. This is pointless. This is a waste of my time. I come home from work, and this is what I'm spending my time doing. Trying to dig up a stump in my backyard. It'd be different if it was in my front yard where everybody could see it. It's in the backyard. Nobody would even know that it's there. So I began having these thoughts of how pointless it was for me to try and dig up the stump. And it's never going to happen. And since that time, about two or three years ago, I haven't touched the stump since. Lost focus. In that moment, I traded my focus for fantasy, something that wasn't true. I could absolutely dig it up if I wanted to. Trust me, it is not impossible for me to get that stump out of my backyard, but I believed it was, and I'm afraid this has happened to a lot of us. We've traded focus for fantasy. You have worked and worked and worked. You have prayed for, you have loved on, you have reached out to this person, and all of a sudden the enemy has fed you some fantasy, and you have lost focus, and now your train of thought is no longer to pray for that person, no longer to love on that person, no longer to put forth the effort in reaching out to that person because they'll never change, they'll never believe. I can't do this anymore. I'm inadequate to do this. I'm insufficient to do this. Let me tell y'all, I like to call those certain set of thoughts toss thoughts. Because when those things enter into your mind, you've got to toss them because that's not true. That's not real. Those are false claims from the enemy. 
for a believer, for a born-again, righteous child of God to walk around with thoughts of insufficiency, inadequacy, inefficiency, worthlessness, no value, no self-esteem. Those are lies that are being fed to you from the enemy. It's fantasy. They're made up. They're false claims, but it's caused you to lose focus. But you've got to toss those thoughts. But instead, I fear that a lot of us are like me by the stump. We've just sat down. And let me give you a warning. When we stop being active, we start being apathetic. You know what apathetic means, don't you? It means to lose interest. It means to no longer be concerned with something. When you stop being active in the kingdom of God, you will start being apathetic to the souls around you. You lose interest. You lose all concern. And for some of you, I know this is hitting home tonight, because you can't remember the last time you walked on campus. You can't remember the last time you got around your family. You can't remember the last time you walked into your place of employment. You can't remember the last time you walked in the gym and bothered to pay attention to anybody else that was around you. You stopped being active, you lost focus, and now we're apathetic. You've got to regain your focus. Regain your focus tonight. Get up and get back to moving. Projects remain partially finished when we trade focus for fantasy. But there's one more trade-off the enemy will try and get you to buy into. And that's the fact that he wants you to trade off finality for familiarity. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. So Nehemiah, the story kind of makes a weird jump. And Nehemiah goes to visit this man in Jerusalem who was known to be a prophet of God. So a prophet of God was someone who spoke the word of God. And so Nehemiah went to visit this man. And he sits down in his house and they're having a conversation. And this man says to Nehemiah, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. So he says, let's go to church, Nehemiah. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. So this man makes a prophecy, so to speak, to Nehemiah that his recommendation is they should go into the temple, shut the doors and lock it because these guys are coming to kill him. Verse 11, but I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Well, Nehemiah, you're disobeying the word of God. This guy's supposed to be a prophet. He's supposed to be giving you the word of God. Look at verse 12. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Remember, the doors had not yet been put in the gates. It was an important piece of information that Nehemiah gave us at the beginning of the chapter 
when we started reading. The work was pretty much done, except for the fact that he hadn't installed doors in the gates yet. It would have been easy, real easy for Nehemiah to take the advice and listen to this man and go into the temple. So let's say that hypothetically he would have. Let's say hypothetically Nehemiah would have took this man's advice and went into the temple, shut the door, and locked it out of fear. Each day he would have looked out and he would have seen the wall. He would have seen all the work that they had done, all the progress that they had made, but he would have also seen each and every day the unfinished gates. And then he would have begun having these thoughts. Well, you know, I should really go out there and finish that. Because that's what happens with partial projects in our life. That's how I am walking around our house from time to time. I come across the stump. I walk in the back bedroom. I walk in our bedroom. I walk in the kitchen. I see this stuff that's unfinished business, and I have the thought occasionally, you know, I should probably finish that. And each day, hypothetically, Nehemiah would have looked out. He would have seen all the progress they made. He would have seen the fact that the wall had been built, but he would have seen the unfinished gates in the doorways, and he probably would have had the thought, you know what, I should really get out there and finish that up. I really shouldn't leave those open like that. I need to get, I need to get out. Tomorrow morning, I'm making, making a deal with myself. I'm getting out there, I'm finishing. I'm going to leave those things undone any longer. But with each day that he looks at it being unfinished, the more familiar the sight becomes to him. And eventually, the unfinished work becomes so familiar to him that it never even enters into his mind again. He becomes so conditioned to it, he doesn't even see it. Anymore. This is the danger of partially finished products. When you walk around and you see them often enough, eventually you become so conditioned to their unfinished state that you don't even see it anymore. It's true. In comparison to the wall, a little door or two seems like a minor detail, wouldn't you agree? but it's no less in its significance. Unfinished, it becomes a gateway for the enemy to enter back in. That's why the enemy has no problem with partially finished projects. You can build the whole wall, but leave one doorway open, and he is perfectly satisfied because he knows you just gave him an avenue to regain entrance back into your life. We can't let ourselves become familiar with unfinished business, and I'm afraid a lot of us have. You've got that person that you have been discipling, but they're not there just yet. You've got that person you've been witnessing to that you've been sharing Jesus with, that friend or that family member, but they haven't accepted Jesus just yet. You've got that one individual you've been praying for God to move in, but they haven't experienced that move just yet. Sure, progress has been made. Conversations are starting to happen. Positive steps are starting to take place. The last time you invited them to come to church with you, they decided to come and they show up, but it's not final yet. It's not done. Yeah, there's being some bricks laid. The wall's going up, but the door hasn't been shut yet. Not all the installations are complete. Look at verse 15. Look at what Nehemiah does. He says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived, perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Hypothetically, Nehemiah went into the temple realistically he didn't go into the temple he finished the work he finished the task that God laid out in front of him and that's the responsibility each and every one of us have we've walked through this journey with Nehemiah from start to finish I've challenged you guys week in and week out to be builders for the kingdom of God and warriors in the kingdom of God as well 
And some of you have started a good work in the people around you. Some of you have started a good work in your friends, in your family members, in your classmates, in your teammates, in your co-workers, but you've got to finish the job. And I know it gets tough from time to time. I know it's a struggle. I know it seems like progress is slow, if there's any whatsoever. But when you do start seeing progress, don't trade off finality for familiarity. Don't get comfortable just for the fact that they came once. Don't get comfortable just with sharing them the love of Christ just once and they actually sat down and listened to you for a change. Don't stop until they say, I need Jesus. Don't stop until they're consistently growing in their faith and they say, you know what, I appreciate your discipleship. Now I'm ready to disciple somebody. Don't stop. Finish the work. Follow the example. Our God is a finisher, by the way. Did you know that? Amen, anybody? Our God is a finisher. He did it with creation when he started that work. He completed it. Let me take it a step further. He did it with salvation. He started the work of salvation. Jesus finished it at the cross, and when he rose from the tomb, our God's a finisher. He doesn't leave things undone, and he doesn't expect his people to either. He will finish the work of his kingdom. One day he's coming back again, and ultimately his kingdom will be established. Our God is a finisher. He will do it with you. Paul said this to the Philippian believers. He said, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to what? Completion. Our God is a finisher. And so should we be. And so I'm telling you, don't lose your fervor. Keep your focus. Finish the job God has called you to and placed in front of you. Sam Ballot said to Nehemiah, hey, let's meet in the plain of Ono. Nehemiah's response was, oh no, I won't trade my fervor for fruitlessness. Oh no, I won't trade my focus for fantasy. Oh no, Sam Ballot, I won't trade finality for familiarity. Some of you, your enemy's trying to get you to make a trade-off so the work doesn't get done. My suggestion, send back a letter that sends him to a familiar place where he lost one time and just say, oh no, I'm not trading off the work that God has placed in front of me for his glory. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.